Well, Romans chapter 8 this morning. It's Hope Sunday. Now, I have to admit, I've always kind of struggled with the whole idea of hope. Not necessarily a struggle with feeling hopeless or not having it or not wanting it, but just defining, understanding the uh, the whole concept of it. What is it? How do we categorize it? And maybe that's just me overthinking things, which I sometimes do, but I realize it's one of those words that for my whole life, after probably the age of four, I could define it, I would say that I understood it, but when you really sit down and try to figure out the role hope is meant to play in your life, it begins to get a little fuzzy. And I've preached on hope many Christmases before, and I've given sermons on it, and thought about and presented different ways to understand it. But, uh, but, but even then, it, it, still, it still seems like a bit of a mystery to me. So as I prayed about what passage to, to look at for this week, I, I was drawn to Romans chapter 8, which as the week progressed and kids being sick progressed into adults being sick, and I had a headache and didn't want to think about things, I began to regret choosing a passage from Romans. Uh, but I've been praying through this this week, and uh, uh, I'm, ex- I'm excited for what God has for us this morning. I'm excited to, see, uh, excited to see where we end up. Let me read our passage for us, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump into it. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for he for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So let's start with what we do know, what we can know. Paul opens this section up, this passage up, by reminding us that though Christ has won a victory on the cross, there is still work to be done. He reminds us that we are still surrounded by suffering. Now, we as a church, as we walk through Advent, and as churches around the the world follow this same plan, these same themes, it's important to remember that Advent is not the celebration of Christmas. Advent is the celebration that prepares us for Christmas, that culminates in the celebration of Christmas. Advent is essentially our remembrance, our celebration 
of all of the different ways that God comes to be with his people. And so in Advent, we will look to the future coming, the end of all things. We look forward to heaven and perfection and final healing. But we begin on Hope Sunday celebrating and reminding ourselves of the ways that God comes to be with us and bring us comfort before everything is fixed. That one day we will celebrate the end of all things, the ultimate reconciliation, the ultimate eradication of sin, the ultimate healing, but we're not there yet. So before we do anything else in Advent, on this Sunday, this first Sunday, Hope Sunday, we remind ourselves, we remember that there still is sorrow There still is pain, there still is discomfort, there still is brokenness in relationships that has not yet healed. We're also reminded by Paul that it's not just us, that the brokenness of the world is not something that only we as humans experience. In fact, all of creation experiences the brokenness of sin. Now, as Humanity has progressed in the last 200 years, and all of a sudden we have enough ability and technology to make substantial, visible, and and ecological impacts on our world that's becoming more and more obvious, right? You go in the ocean and you see piles of garbage and waste and the death and destruction that it brings. It's, it's very obvious how much sin affects the world and that there is brokenness all Around us. But even before that, even before you could look at things like pollution and smog and holes in the ozone layer, even back when Paul was writing, the creation was affected. The creation, as well as us, was looking forward to a better future. And he opens up this passage by reminding us that we're not there yet. And so how do we live, how do we function in a broken world? The answer is not to just ignore it, to pretend that it doesn't exist. The answer is not to ignore the problems, to just smile and try to get along with the former friends or the relatives with whom we have broken relationships. It's, it's not to pretend that everything is good and perfect. We as a church are not called to pretend that everything is good and perfect. And in fact, hope is what gets us through that. Which is where, again, I at least come back to my question of, of how. What is it that hope actually does? Because when I really start to break it down, and and especially when I begin to look at the way we use the word hope a lot of the time, as, as I look at especially the way the world uses the word hope, it it begins to feel like a very thin, fragile, and weak concept. Often when we use the word hope, we use it as the action we take when there's nothing else to do. We say things like, 
I really needed this this item. I should have thought of an example for this one. (laughs) But it's been a long week, and I'm a little slower on my feet than usual. Have you ever had an item that was coming in the mail, and you needed it on a particular day, right? Like the walkie-talkies, yeah. (laughs) When we did... um, when we had reached the beach this year, we ordered a new set of walkie-talkies so everyone could have some, and uh, I ended up buying three full sets of walkie-talkies because I kept ordering them, and Amazon decided that they weren't fully in stock and delayed the shipping a week, and they were going to get here five days after the race, which obviously wouldn't work, so I just ordered three different sets and just hoped that one of them would get here before Friday. Just hoped. And thankfully, one of them did. But that's often how we use the word, right? I I could have ordered them earlier if I had in any way been able to call the shipping company or call UPS or call someone and encourage them or try to get them or offer them an incentive to bring them faster. I would have done that. but, But ultimately, I had nothing that I could do. And so at that point, we use the word. We say, oh, I hope... They get here in time, which is, in that context, essentially saying there's nothing I can do. There's nothing that will make this better. I just need something to say. It's a hope is the action we're taking in just trying to maintain a positive outlook despite the reality of our situation. But in that context... Having hope, that action, doesn't do anything to improve the situation. And the hope doesn't really help me either because I'm manufacturing it. I'm trying to choose it. I'm trying to just think positively. I'm trying to just focus more on the chance of a positive outcome. I'm still rolling the dice. I'm just choosing to only think about the numbers that I want to come up. Does that make sense? It's, it doesn't actually do anything for me because I'm creating it. And we've got four banners on the wall. Hope, joy, love, and peace. And, and in, in that company, it seems like a fairly weak word, right? If we're going to celebrate and look at four different concepts, ideas, four terms in the month leading up to the enormous celebration of Christmas, that way of using the word hope doesn't seem to fit in, does it? Seems, compared to the the mighty concept of, I forgot where it was, of love and, and the depth of that, of peace as we understand that it can come over us and wash over us and joy, which the Bible talks about that the joy of the Lord is our strength. The reason joy is such a more important word than, than happiness is because we need joy when we are the most broken because that is how God strengthens us. And then we have the thing that we just 
kind of fake to try and make ourselves feel better. There were a couple really pessimistic days this week where I just went fully into the, it really seems like hope is it's really thin. It's pretty empty. There was another thing that stood out to me this week. I'd never thought of this before. But I realized that almost surprisingly to me, hope is not one of the fruits of the Spirit. You ever thought about that? We, we talk about it a lot. The, the number of times we use the word hope in, in the context of the church, it seems like it should be on that list. And I had to sit there and like, at one point this week, I said the fruits of the Spirit to myself to make sure I wasn't messing that up. And I went through and I said, no, sure enough, love, joy, I'm going to do it again right now because now I'm second-guessing myself. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Yeah. There's no hope. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. Everything else up here is a fruit of the Spirit. And I wondered, why Why is that? It seems like the way we use it, it is fairly meaningless. And it's not a fruit of the Spirit. It's not. So if it's not of the fruit of the Spirit, it, it means it's not something that the Spirit is birthing in us. Right? And, and that's the imagery, and that's why it's the fruit of the Spirit, because just as apple trees do apples, they bear fruit, they create apples. When we have the Spirit within us, the fruits of the Spirit are the things that just begin to grow, that they are the, the natural occurrence of being sourced with the Spirit. So if it's not one of those, it, it functions in a different way in our lives. So hope isn't something that the Spirit creates in us, then what, then what is it? This is where I got really confused this week. And really had no idea what I was going to talk about. And I began to notice some things in Paul's writing and all of this is difficult because the, the Bible, the New Testament, uses the word hope in a lot of different ways, some of which are similar to the way that we use it, as, as a verb, as something that we're doing. But there's other instances. I'm going to give you two this morning. One is in our passage we already read, where Paul points to something different. The first thing is, in verse 24 of the passage today, Paul says this. He says, for in this hope, we were saved. For in this hope we were saved. And he goes on to say, Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? So he gives us two things there. The second is that we don't hope for what we see in front of us. That, that he makes the distinction that hope is not for what already exists. Hope has some degree of interaction with what is yet to come. So in the package example, we're in the, we're in the ballpark, right? If the package was already here, if it had already been delivered, I wouldn't need to hope that it arrived. That's not the relationship of hope. So that, that part is right. Hope does have to do with things that are not yet. But he also says... 
this interesting phrase about how we were saved in this hope. Which makes hope seem like something that's a lot less of a concept. It's not a feeling necessarily or an emotion. It brings this sense of of weight, of gravity, of substance to it. That hope, biblically speaking, and for the Christian, is something more than an attitude we attempt to adopt. Hope is something that we experience. Not a fruit that comes out of us like the fruit of the Spirit, but a some sort of substantial, spiritual, almost object that we have an experience with. Uh, another passage, this is also Paul, in, uh, you don't have to turn there, but in Colossians chapter 1, he says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So in Colossians, Paul expands his idea of what hope is. And he identifies it fairly clearly if we just break down the sentence that the hope of glory, that hope in a Christian context is the equivalent of Christ in us. And so essentially what Paul is saying here is that if you are a believer, lots of people can hope, they can adopt hope, they can They can try to take hope on. They can try to have the positive outlook. As a concept, it exists in the world. But for Christians, it becomes tangible. That hope is not simply something that you attempt to have, something that you do. Hope is the presence of Christ in your life. It's something that comes to you. Now, I don't want to get too much into logistics and, and semantics, but but towing that line, what does Christ in us look like? The way that Christ comes to live with us, to dwell with us, right? He said, I am going to prepare a place for you, but I will send the presence of Jesus in our lives looks like the presence and indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and so what Paul is doing in all of his teachings, as, as, we, as we look at them, he's essentially saying this, you receive hope when you receive the Spirit. You receive hope when you encounter Christ. And I began to have this understanding that this week that hope is not one of the fruits of the Spirit. It is not a part of the fruit of the Spirit because hope is what comes to us to enable us to begin producing that fruit. Hope is what comes to us with the presence of Christ and with the presence of the Spirit. Hope comes before the fruit. 
And so what we have when we come to believe in Jesus is we look to what he has done. We look to what he is doing now. And we look to what he will do in the future. We look to what he has done, that he has paid the, the penalty, he has made the sacrifice, he has paid the debt, he has come to dwell to be among us. We look at what he's doing, that he forgives us now for the sins of our past, our present, and he will in the future. He is changing us now, he is living in us now, and we know one day he will do fully what he does in part now. That one day he will not just give us the authority to, to overcome our sin be sanctified out of our sin, one day he will give us the ability to completely vanquish it. As he heals our hearts in part now, he will heal our hearts and our bodies in full in the future. And we know that that will happen because of what we see now. And don't misunderstand when Paul says we hope for what we do not see, that doesn't mean we don't see anything. That's an important distinction. We hope for the future when all will be reconciled, but we still see reconciliation now. We hope for the future when we are fully free of sin, but we also see now, in part, how we are able to be overcomers. So hope for the Christian is not just an attitude it's not putting a smile on. It's not, well, that guy never gets mad when he gets stuck in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. He's always got a positive outlook. It's, it's beyond that. Hope is something that you carry. It's not physical. It's spiritual. But it has substance. It's something that you carry around with you. In the same way, I don't want to keep us too long, but New Testament describes the earth and the earthly, the physical, as a shadow of the spiritual. If you get into physics... The term shadow in physics is used to describe what happens when you lose a dimension. So I'm a three-dimensional object. My shadow is two-dimensional. A shadow of a shadow is one-dimensional. Just a line, right? And that's hard to picture because three to two, we can picture a, a shadow of light but in physics, it's a concept that goes beyond that. If you could somehow shine something on my shadow, what came across was, would be just a line. It's just one-dimensional. And so physics actually tells us that, well, we know that there's one dimension, and that goes to two, and then two goes to three. And a line cannot imagine a two-dimensional drawing any more than a two-dimensional drawing could picture what it looks like to be able to move forward and backwards. And... In the same way, what the Bible tells us is that we are a shadow of the spiritual, which means there's something altogether more going on in the spiritual realm that we just don't see with our three-dimensional eyes. And so as we are given the Spirit, 
we begin to be able to see that. Not with our eyes, we don't hear with our ears, but we hear and we see through the Spirit. If you've been a believer for any amount of time, you've experienced this, I'm sure, that you can see something in a person that no one else around them sees, even if you just met them. So in the same way, the spiritual realm operates much like Ours, just in a deeper way. In the physical realm, it would look like walking down the street on a 105-degree day with a cooler full of water bottles and handing them out to people. That if you were the person who had access, if you at one point during COVID just bulk ordered 20 pallets of water bottles in their basement and their ice cold, and the temperature spiked, you would say, I've got all these water bottles. I can't possibly drink them all. I'm going to start carrying them around and just distributing them to people who look thirsty. That is what hope is meant to be in your life as a believer. It's tangible, not physical, but it is tangible. It is something you carry with you. As such, it is something that you can hand off and pass to others. Every day, wherever you go. In the same way as you could drive to the gas station on that 105 degree day and see someone out there filling their truck and they're going to be there for a while because it's a big tank, you could walk over and hand them a water bottle. You can do that with the hope of Christ. And I'm not talking about handing out tracts. I'm not talking about preaching. I'm not going over and just trying to, to, to pray for random people, although all of those things happen from time to time. You don't need to add something to it, just the hope. And they may not even know that you're doing it. Sometimes I wonder as a church, kind of what's... And and I don't ask this question in, in cynicism, I just ask it because it's important, but what are we doing here? Why do we show up every Sunday morning to do this? Couldn't we just do this every, you know, once a month? And sometimes one of us will have a crisis or some big need and we desperately need to be in church, but there's a lot of weeks where it seems like we're doing okay. And I ask myself the question as a pastor, why should I expect you to show up on Sunday every single week? Why should I expect you to do that? And here's the thing. There's a lot of different ways to do church. And there are many, many times where as a church we need to take care of each other. That we raise our kids in the church so they grow up with friends that are from safe homes and they build positive relationships and they're loved and they're cherished and they're taken care of. And and we have friendships and relationships with people that believe like we believe and that that their lives are guided by the Spirit and that's beneficial to us. And and all of these things that we do, which are so, they're so good and they're so helpful. But see, I don't want to be a church that just does things for each other all the time. That does our our nice little traditions and 
We have the things that we say on certain holidays. We know that we're going to say them, and we know we're going to sing these songs, and they're familiar, and we're all really comfortable with it. And Hey, that stuff's not bad, but I don't want to stop there as a church. What I know is all of us have people that we are going to encounter that are thirsty. Because it's 120 in that world. It's a furnace out there. There are people just being broiled by the pressures and the anxieties and the brokenness of life. And we've got a huge supply of exactly what the world needs. There will be days where you are broken. There will be weeks when you are broken, where you come to church and it's all you've got left. It's the last thing you can do. You barely make it. You're standing up, but you're crawling through the back door. You need to be here. You're broken. You're hurting. And hey, come. Sit in the front. Pay attention. Let his goodness and his grace wash over you. But there's other weeks where you may think to yourself, I'm doing okay this week. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm doing all right. I've been doing my devotions. I think we need to shift our understanding of church. That sometimes you come here for you, most of the time you come here for them. And it's not because I can do Bible study better than you can. It's not that I can find stuff in the Word to give you that's better than what you can find yourself. It's that we do it together. We worship together. We allow His Spirit to move and work in this place together. We hear together. We go out with the same truths to bring into our world, into our towns, into our cities, together. I was convicted this week of language that I've used. I've said all the time without even thinking about it, we come here for God to give us what we need for the week. It's not an untrue statement, it's just a very incomplete one. We don't just come here on Sunday to get what we need for the week. We come here on Sunday to get what our neighbor needs for the week that they're not yet aware of. We come here on Sunday to get what our coworker needs, what our spouse needs, what our friend needs, what the random person we're going to encounter on Thursday needs. The conversation that you stumble into with, with the clerk behind the desk at the store, and they say, I just wish I had an answer to this question. And you say, man, it's really funny, because I heard a sermon about that just this past Sunday. I grew up in a church... 
where the new convert was kind of this mystical creature. (laughs) You'd read about it in magazines and books, but you very rarely saw it. I don't want to live in that kind of church. I don't want to operate in that kind of church. And new believers are a lot of work, especially for those of us at the front. You guys know how to do most of the right things already. You're way less work. But I want having unbelievers in these seats to be normal for us. And that's only going to happen if we shift starting with me, if we shift our understanding that you're not here to be ministered to by me and our worship team to prepare you for your week, but you're here to get ready to minister to them for their week. I'm not going to bring people in. Most of the time, if people come to a church for the pastor, they're already Christians that like your style better than their current church. I'm not going to bring... Not that we don't witness, not that we don't witness to our neighbors, but it's you guys. You guys can do far more than I ever can. So as we leave, as we close... My prayer for us is that we will have experienced the presence and the hope of Christ this morning in a greater degree than before, and that we leave to bring that to the world. You're going to walk around all week with a backpack full of water bottles, and you're going to ask God who needs them. Maybe it's just a smile. If you're working at it, if you're trying, it's you. Leave it behind. No pressure. Don't work at it. Don't try. Just recognize what you've been given and pass it on. In two weeks, we're preaching on salvation. It'd be a great time to invite somebody. Jesus, we don't, maybe it's just me, but I don't think that we want to be a church that just takes care of ourselves. Is anybody with me on that? We don't want to be a church that just looks out for our own needs, that gets stuck in the rhythms and the routines and the traditions and the familiar We want to be a church that goes, a church that serves. So this week, Lord, in this place, in this moment, I pray a blessing that your hope would cover us all, that your presence would come upon us in a mighty way in this moment, 
that because of your presence in us now, we don't despair and all of the brokenness that is still around us. That because of your presence in us now, we don't have to worry. And it's okay that there's still brokenness because we know how great your promise is. That your promise, that your future for us is so great that it is, it is able to overpower the pain that we see around us presently. The hope of healing in the future is better and greater than the pain that we feel in our bodies and our hearts now. May we be overcome with your presence and hope this morning, and may your church leave to spread that in a broken world. May we leave to distribute that which is not just an attitude that we put on, that we have to convince others to do it or show them or give them the tricks to, to not focus on the bad and pretend that, it, that we are able to just hand it over. That is your presence that, as it surrounds us, gives us hope, provides us hope as we bring that presence into the lives of others that they simply experience it, perhaps without even knowing what's happening. And when the opportunity is right, Lord, I pray that they ask. I pray that we know when to share and provide witness to what it is that they're experiencing through us and let them know that it can be theirs to have for their own that they can have that relationship with you, your presence in their lives, that they can have the hope that we do. Not that they can do hope like we do, but they can possess it. They can hold it, and they can experience it. Lord, may we be your hands and feet as we go. We love you, and we ask these things in your name. Amen.